This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Network. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Network does not take responsibility for the statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the 2019 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 14 years. Today's episode brings you healthcare, IT, and government. Here's your host, Luke McCormack. Good afternoon, and welcome to this month's show. I'm Luke McCormack. During today's show, we will discuss critical issues facing government and industry leaders and in using information technology to improve healthcare and healthcare services. With me on today's show are Mark Baffiati, Senior Advisor to the National Coordinator for Health IT, Jose Ariati, Chief Information Officer. Health and Human Services, Quimby Kayser, Principal of Federal Advisor, Advisory, KPMG, Bill James, Deputy Assistant Secretary for Development and Operations, Department of Veterans Affairs, Drew Michaelbarg, Executive Director for Demand Management, Department of Veterans Affairs, Drew Kerner, Healthcare CTO Service Now, and Chris Townsend, Vice President for Sales and Operations, Semantic Federal. Well, this is a big topic and a very important topic. We've got everything from telemedicine to embedded IT systems that are in these medical devices. Everyone's looking for a modern healthcare experience, right, in their own personal sort of lives, if you will. And we certainly need to make sure these things are secure across the entire ecosystem. I couldn't think of a more sort of important and uh, sacred uh, set of data than healthcare data, right? So that's super important from a security standpoint. But Mark, let's start with you over at ONC. Uh, why don't you just tell us about uh, sort of the state of the state and what's happening at ONC. Maybe you can talk about what ONC is for the listening audience. Sure, sure, sure. ONC, uh, Office of the National Coordinator for Health IT, is a part of HHS. And we're basically responsible for trying to uh, get Electronic medical records, electronic health records interoperable right now. Uh, in 2016, uh, Congress passed almost unanimously the 21st Century Cures Act. President Obama signed it into law. The current administration is totally behind it. And uh, two of the main uh, parts of that law are interoperability of health records, as well as the ability for patients to access their, their medical records. Uh, and really access their medical records at no cost using a smartphone app. So that's really what we're charged with doing. That, that's our main responsibility now. And just for a little perspective, I went to work for a large healthcare organization in 2004 as one of the implementation managers for electronic health records. Mm -hmm. And at the time, um, paper records were just strewn all over the place. Uh, you know, on, on physician, in physicians' offices, you had piles of electronic medical records. So it was really groundbreaking when we went to electronic medical records. My healthcare organization was vertically integrated, meaning that everything was under the same roof. The doctors were employees, the hospitals belonged to the organization. So it really was, it was totally integrated and interoperable. If you went into the emergency room, they could look up your information, they could see what meds you were taking, what your chronic conditions uh, were, and so forth. But right now, although 97% of hospitals and approximately 80% of outpatient medical offices are on some form of electronic health records, they don't necessarily talk to one another. Yeah. 
So that's that's the challenge moving forward, and that's what we're working. And on. I think a lot of people uh, recognize this in their in their personal lives, right? As they're they're going from you know different facilities, et cetera, they recognize that in a lot of cases that information isn't flowing over, and certainly should be. Jose, how about at HHS? I mean, you've got a big role there. You've come out of one role at HHS into another, seeing things from a different perspective. Uh, tell us about what you're discovering over there. Yeah, thanks for the question and thanks for the time today. I think the interesting thing about the federal government right now is that and the way that we look at it at HHS is the legal framework exists to actually modernize and change behavior within federal agencies. So you have FATARA that's empowering the CIO, right? You have this idea of FedRAMP, which is secure cloud. And then you have this incentive structure in the MGT Act that says if you move to a commercial cloud environment and you use certain technologies and modernize and save money, maybe you can reinvest that money, right? And I think we look, from our perspective and from my priorities, we're looking at that legal framework and saying, how can we use that legal framework to drive, drive a change in behavior? So I'm focused in particular on three or four things. Uh, one, I'm trying to separate data from business process and move curated data to a commercial cloud environment. Once it's in a commercial cloud environment, I'm trying to pilot and test emerging technology uh, to automate business process or to create deeper analytic capabilities. And we want to do that, and we want to do that in a secure way. And those are the three areas that I'm focused on. And we actually have an example of doing all three. Recently, and, we, and I won't get into the details in the opening, but if you want to talk about it, we can. Recently, we've moved 10 terabytes of data to a commercial cloud environment. We've actually built ag algorithms, whether used algorithms that exist, whether it's Gradient Booster, whether it's LSTM, uh, to actually drive insights off of those data sets to actually predict future outcomes. And we're actually building and piloting and testing behavioral-based identity at the edge of the network. It certainly seems like, you know, using some of this modern technology to modernize these environments, there's a, there's a nice match up there, and, and certainly in things like AI, et cetera, we didn't even talk about medical fraud and some of those issues, right? That's a whole other subject. We could probably talk all day about that, but uh, how about at KPMG? You're seeing it from a, a perspective of across the community, both in the, the public sector, the private sector. Uh, give us a little state of the state there. And even... Um, uh just building off of what we've already heard as well is, is what we're seeing from our, um, from our clients is they're starting to think about patients as consumers, um, starting to put uh, consumers in the center of what and how they design what they're doing and making sure that the IT investments are tied to really those business outcomes. So not doing IT for IT's sake, but doing it for a benefit that the consumer is going to feel. It's going to feel like it's personalized. Um, we're also seeing that folks are um, getting out of the businesses that they aren't good at, right, the core competencies. So putting things in the cloud, not just your you know, typical back office, but actually putting mission-critical systems into the cloud to free up the organization to uh, focus on the things that they're really good at, like providing healthcare um, or focusing on that um, uh, consumer experience that, that you want. So you know, is the, the trends are uh, really looking at really looking at the uh, consumer and designing around the expectations that they have about how they want healthcare. And it is, it's, it is evolving and expectations are increasing about how that's gonna be provided. Right, and I think we all, again, see that in our personal lives as you know, well, we're the consumer, we're the patient, right? Uh, we wanna have a modern experience, we wanna have a thoughtful experience, we wanna have an informed experience, and we certainly want it to be secure. Uh, Bill, how about over at the VA? Uh, we hear a lot in the news about a s tremendous amount of great uh, activity that's going on over there, and you guys are on the move. So 
Give us a, a, an update as to uh, how are things going there. That's right, Luke. Uh, it is, we have an aggressive uh, modernization uh, activity underway across the board. Uh, one example is our old and, and still performant uh, electronic healthcare record is a system called Vista. And um, we're moving Vista to the cloud. As a matter of fact, of our 130 plus instantiations of Vista, we now have uh, the first one in the cloud operational today and uh, being served um, down at the Valley Coastal Bend uh, you know, Medical Center in Southern Texas. And so that's the first domino that begins to fall and then we're gonna be moving all the other instantiations of Vista to the cloud, which will provide incredible benefits not only to the providers, the doctors and nurses that serve veterans today, but to the veterans themselves. And then on top of that, of course, we're modernizing that healthcare record by moving to a commercial off-the-shelf product called Cerner, and uh, there's a transformation underway. So, um, and I think um, Mark mentioned it before, beyond the electronic healthcare record, we absolutely want veterans to have access to their records and getting rid of the the boundaries and, and the friction between the veteran and the information they own and the services that they've earned uh, is what we're about today at the NVA IT. Every person, every individual, and certainly every veteran deserves full access to, uh, to all their information. And uh, maybe we can talk about telemedicine at some point to be able to you know, get access to some of this care in, in remote uh, locations. Drew, how about at uh, your role over there? What is demand management at the Department of Veterans Affairs? Maybe you can explain that a little bit. And sure, just give sure. Some Thanks, Luke. So demand management's the front door to VA, to our OINT. So when a business line, whether it's our health side or benefits side or our cemeteries, has, a, has an IT request, it comes in through, through demand management, and then it gets pushed out to one of our other areas to be built. One of the um, exciting parts of, of being in that role is we've been able to be the first adopters of a lot of industry best practices. And you've heard it from Jose and, and some other people, you know, the, the, this, this language that, that you heard years and years ago in the commercial sector around human-centered design, DevOps, like moving to the cloud, building cloud-native applications. So in, in our area, we really benefited um, con like concretely from the move of VA.gov. So a couple years ago, we launched vets.gov, and the, the final instantiation of that was last fall, we launched our, our new flagship um, website was va.gov. And through human-centered design, um, we were able to understand what 80% of veterans need. So, so they want to make a claim is one of the big ones. They can do 80% of the things they want to do with VA from the homepage, which in an organization as large as ours is an amazing feat. Um, the second thing that we also saw in, in, on VA.gov was this use of APIs, so application programming interfaces. And you hear APIs a lot, um, and, and they're extremely powerful. And what we were able then to do is take the APIs that were powering VA.gov and then expose them out to external entities. So about four months ago, we, we said that Apple was, and CDC were two of the first consumers. So a commercial entity and a government entity were consuming our health API, being able to allow um, veterans to fulfill that ONC promise that they can download their medical records onto, on their mobile device. And then the last part, um, like Bill was talking about, like that is a cloud-first app. So we're now not looking at the way that we used to build, but how should we build according to industry standards so that the applications are resilient, we have better uptimes, better security, um, and we, we shift a lot. We're, we're moving more to faster um, releases that are driving lower you know, mean time to recovery and lower downtime in our applications. Right. Uh, you know, I was just going to say, you know, the uh, demand management in regards to uh, 
bringing that type of capability and updating those capabilities on a mobile device uh, to that veteran, I think is fantastic, right? Today it's sort of generation one, tomorrow it's much richer experience. Speaking of clouds and modern technology, uh, Drew, second Drew here in the lineup. Uh, ServiceNow, you guys are, uh, ServiceNow is very much in the healthcare environment, helping the uh, Veterans Affairs and others. Tell us a little bit about what's happening over there. Yeah, so I, I think most folks think of us as that uh, IT service management engine, which uh, ticketing use case uh, and, and those types of things are, are kind of our primary bread and butter. But really, at the end of the day, we're a workflow automation engine. So I call IT service management. ITSM is the use case gone tragically right. But the reality is we're starting to look not only at how can we get rid of marks, the other mark, paper processes, digitize those workflows. And for me personally, this we're kind of at the inception of this, but how can we optimize clinical workflows as well? So think of like a patient discharge process. There's a number of follow-ups that need to happen during that process so we can wrap around that whole process to create that consumerized experience that Quimby mentioned earlier. So. Right, that seamless sort yep. of uh, experience, if you will. And of course, if it's seamless and it's on mobile, we certainly want to make sure it's secure. So Chris, tell us about uh, sort of what is happening in state of state in regards to securing this ecosystem and making sure that everyone feels confident about that. Yeah, thanks, Luke. And I appreciate uh, you inviting me to be here today. In a, in a former life at another IT company, I ran a healthcare vertical. So healthcare and VA in particular is near and dear to my heart. I worked with the, the VA for about 10 years as a vendor partner. And, and they did a lot of great things in terms of uh, leading in technology adoption and delivering healthcare. If you look, you know, you talk about Vista. VA was one of the first to standardize an electronic health record. They were one of the first to go to uh, uh, a mobile wireless device to protect against contraindicated medications with the BCMA program. Uh, I did a lot of work on the rural health program and the telehealth program there. So uh, VA has been a, a long-time innovator in the use of technology to improve care and, and care delivery and patient safety. But uh, uh, everything that we've talked about here in terms of how we're improving delivery to the patient, uh, how we're moving to the cloud, how we're implementing tools like ServiceNow, um, that all is predicated, and certainly the electronic health record, is all predicated on making sure that we have an underlying security infrastructure, right? The, 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 the data is no longer locked in the data center, right? It's on mobile devices, it's in the cloud. How do we protect the data where the data lives? How do we make sure we've got good identity management around the folks that are accessing that data? And in the case of the VA or, or uh, uh, DHA as well, it's not just the healthcare data, which is critically important, but it's the entire service record of that individual. So it's really important that you have an underlying security infrastructure to protect that, uh, that patient record data. Yeah, I would say that, um, uh, you know, when we're modernizing in a modern way, we need to make sure that we're, we're doing that uh, uh, securely and modernizing and in a, in a, in a securing it in a modern way, right? It can't be sort of that gates, guards, and locks, right? That's not realistic to think that we can and operate in that kind of a way. Jose, we'd like to talk about specific examples. I know you have many. Uh, you've just recently been um, uh, um, appointed to the chief information officer's role at HHS, but you also had a, a prior role, as I mentioned earlier. Give us an example, specific program that you're working on. I know you went in there uh, uh, swinging for the fences, so to speak. Um, uh, tell us about a specific program that you're working it's, on. It's not related to health, um, but what we did before the CIO role is we took 10 terabytes of contracting data. It's about 1.7 million contracts. We moved it to a commercial cloud environment. I think the way that we moved it is what really interests me. So one, we curated the data. Two, we indexed it, moved it to a commercial cloud environment. We built the user interfaces to get buy-in from the stakeholders and we put a really light infrastructure layer in, really light infrastructure so that we could show functionality and, and the ability to return on investment 
to drive return on investment. And then we left the identity management piece kind of open. So we had a lot of flexibility of how to drive security later on. What we were doing is at a very low cost, modernizing the way that we do business, getting buy-in from our users to Drew's point on human-centered design. And then we would go back and we're going to go back and we'll build out the infrastructure and we'll build out the identity management capability now. What I think is really interesting across HHS is you see that happening. Right now at NIH, there's this program called Strides, and you guys have to have Andrea Norris uh, come on this show. They're moving five petabytes of data a day. You want to talk about human-centered design? They are actually moving research data to a commercial cloud environment in partnership with large commercial cloud providers so that they can actually, so the researcher themselves can actually access curated data and use it to do what? To do research. And, and they're currently using applications that they've already built. But the, the tools that I talked about, the artificial intelligence capabilities that I talked about, LSTM, Gradient Booster, uh, Random Forest, these are tools that now in that commercial cloud environment they will be able to use. Another example that I find extremely fascinating is at FDA. FDA evolves industries, but FDA has pivoted and they're starting to evolve themselves. And they've actually used a public-private partnership to create an incubator where they bring diverse data sets from the research community together, and they're actually using them to actually design drugs on the basis of diagnosis and outcome to drive better outcomes uh, for American healthcare consumers and, and to target the drugs to drive better service. And I think that is extremely powerful, but it's all built on a couple of things. One, we're going to move a curated data set to a commercial cloud environment. We're going to index it. We're going to make it available. Mm -hmm. Two, we're, at that point, we'll establish how we're going to create secure identity and access. And three, we're going to actually establish infrastructure from a cloud perspective, but infrastructure for, for elastic scaling capability we'll establish later on as we understand usage. And I think you see that happening in pockets across HHS. That's what I'm super excited about. I can tell that uh, we can see the excitement and that's interesting minimal viable product concept that you talked about in your first example. Uh, Quimby, let's talk about a specific example that you see at KPMG that you'd like to highlight. Um, you know, it's, um, you know, we've been working with a Medicare administrator to do something very similar. I think you're, I'm hearing a trend about moving to cloud and um, being able to work with them to optimize their IT operations, uh, look at a target operating model. And I think this is an important thing that we see is that we're, we're seeing people not doing technology for technology's sake, just not moving to the cloud to move to the cloud, but doing it for a purpose, right? And you know, their um, purpose was to free themselves up from you know, having to manage the applications and answer the phones and see the blipping red lights that we talked about earlier. Um, so that they could um, lower their cost of ownership so, and to free them up to take advantage of the technologies that are now available. So we used a target operating model uh, with them to say, what is it you're trying to accomplish? How do you organize yourselves in order to accomplish that mission? Uh, where are the opportunities for value? So looking at you know, the areas that you could, um, you know, I won't say divest, but go to a managed service, which um, we help them identify. And they're not only putting you know, their data centers, they went from one data, or two data centers down to one for a managed service, but they've also put their voice and data into the cloud, which has um, really been groundbreaking because they can now take advantage of some of the uh, artificial intelligence and some of the other um, uh, technologies that are out there, but without their data being available, without those cloud providers having the tools available to them, immediately, it would be months before they would be able to take advantage of those technologies versus, you know, weeks that it would be now. So we've had great success. It's taken a couple of years to get mm -hmm. to the point where things are now in the cloud, but now we're starting to convert, help them manage those relationships 
I guess that's another element here too, is that when you do that, you're working with your vendors differently than before uh, and helping them have that vendor management framework and processes in place to feel comfortable that that's being managed well. So now they can focus on their consumer, their customer, uh, sure, and serving a, them better. There's a whole picture that's got to be pulled in uh, to that um, uh, environment when you're uh, introducing that, particularly into the cloud. Uh, well, we're going to take a short break. Um, we'll be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. From large backlogs and mountains of data to unfunded mandates and spikes in demand, federal agencies face obstacles to efficiently completing business admission tasks. Intelligent automation can help ease some of the pressure. At KPMG, they help agencies access the full spectrum of intelligent automation so they can deliver greater innovation across their organizations while having a more positive impact on their mission, workforce, and constituents. To learn more, please visit kpmg.com backslash us backslash gov automation. The Internet of Medical Things. Connected devices. Telemedicine. Addictive prescriptions. Clinical informatics. Patient analytics. Automated nursing. There's a lot of confusion about how we should be using technology in healthcare, and confusion makes us scared. Scared for our health, for our privacy, for our families. ServiceNow is dedicated to making the scary simple and to using technology to positively change the way we experience patient care. We want you to feel cared for, not scared scared for anything. ServiceNow. We make the world of work work better for people. Symantec is the partner of choice for federal agencies looking to enhance their cyber posture and respond to advanced threats. Their integrated cyber defense platform combines information protection, threat protection, identity management, compliance, and other advanced services, powered by shared intelligence and automation across endpoints, networks, applications, and clouds to deliver the most robust capabilities in the federal marketplace. To learn more, visit Symantec.com. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. We're talking about IT healthcare. Uh, with me on today's show are Mark Vafiades with the Office of National Coordination, Jose Arrieta with HHS, Quimby Kayser with KPMG, Bill James with Department of Veterans Affairs. Drew Michael Gard with Department of Veterans Affairs, Drew Kerner with ServiceNow, and Chris Townsend with Semantic Federal. Well, we were talking about specific examples of efforts that are going underway. Bill, let me start back with you at VA. Give us a specific example of a project or a program that you'd like to highlight. I think uh, the latest one was um, had a major success rolling out um, the Mission Act uh, software. Uh, we had a June 6 deadline to do that, and I think uh, the, the most, to me, the most important and exciting part of that uh, rollout was our, um, our DevOps model in action, where IT and our customer, the Veterans Health Administration, we worked shoulder to shoulder, um, morning, noon, and night, to put that, uh, the, the products out. That's what it takes, right? Exactly right. And, um, and we're pushing updates to the cloud. Um, the primary application was a decision support tool to help doctors and nurses and providers um, help veterans make decisions about um, you know, their, their care outside of the VA and, of course, care inside the VA. Um, but putting that package together was not just an IT thing. It was a joint effort and a DevOps effort, shoulder to shoulder, and really was a culture shift in the way that we have worked and we're pushing updates weekly now as opposed to every 90 days. And so it was a success uh, rollout, but 
frankly, it was a cultural success in the way we do business. So I'm very proud of that. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, this whole DevSecOps and continuous delivery is uh, uh, really bringing that, that operational business community very close to the IT community, getting immediate fit, feedback as you're delivering those capabilities. I think it's fascinating that uh, it's a, breaking a lot of ground there and providing a great capability to the, uh, to the operators, the mission operators. Chris, let's get an example from uh, Semantic in regards to a specific program that you're working on that you'd like to bring to the attention of the audience. Sure, so there's, there's a, a, a number of those. You know, the, the, the um, most obvious, uh, uh, Luke, as we move to the cloud, and, and as I mentioned earlier, we move to electronic health records, and the, you know, the promise of electronic health records is we get a standardized record that follows the patient wherever they go, where they go to their primary doctor, or they go to their specialist, uh, that information follows them and, and uh, improves their ability to, to get care and, and, to, and to have that care more effective. Uh, but that's all about protecting that data and allowing the portability of that data, allowing you to load that data on mobile devices or in cloud applications. So we're doing a lot of work right now around day loss prevention. Uh, and you know, you hear a lot about DLP. It's been around for a long time. It's not necessarily a new technology, but uh, as we're shifting to the cloud, it's, it's more important than ever because we have to secure the data where the data resides. And uh, that's about building a, a, a DLP policy that protects the data on-prem, protects the data on mobile devices and in the cloud as a seamless single policy and not having multiple uh, DLP instances that creates additional complexity and cost. So um, you know, our, our, our focus right now, especially in the healthcare space, is around DLP and it's one of our fastest growing uh, technologies. Right, I would imagine you know, trying to simplify that environment but make sure that it accounts for all these modes of transportation, if you will, uh, is super important, right? Um, a critical uh, aspect of, of you know, bringing this whole concept forward. Mark, how about at ONC? Can you give us a specific example there of a program that you guys are working on? Sure, sure. Well, let me just highlight one from that we're still working on that started about 10 years ago, and that was health information exchanges. They're regional and state health information exchanges. It was the beginning of interoperability, and of course, we're still, we're still working on that. A second one which we've been working on recently is PULTS, which is the Patient Unified Lookup System for Emergencies. And we actually activated this just last year, was the first incidence where we actually activated it. It was during the California wildfires. And this is a system that is activated when there's some kind of a natural disaster or any other kind of a, an emergency, uh, especially similar to um, uh, in California when, when the, the wildfires happened, a lot of people were displaced. There are people with chronic conditions. They have to leave quickly. They don't have any medical records. They don't have their meds. So this is a system that's activated, and there are people that are pre-approved to access the system. They can then look up information, medical information, about, about people uh, that, that have been displaced and, and continue their care, get meds for them, um, bring them to uh, a hospital to, to, get, uh, uh, to get the care that they need. So this is something that was successfully implemented last year and will be implemented now moving forward whenever there's some kind of a disaster. Wow, and that's a fantastic. I hadn't heard about that program, and sadly we need that, right, because there seems to be more and more of these disasters, fires, floods, hurricanes, et cetera. So um, I'm, glad to, I'm glad to hear that. <clears throat> Drew, how about a service now? Can you give us a specific program that you guys are working on? I know you're working on a lot of different things across the spectrum. Maybe one example uh, sure. that you'd like to highlight. Yeah, you know, I think one of the things that's interesting as, as kind of IT leaders within the healthcare space, sometimes we get really excited and I think cloud and platform and IoT are, are becoming a very overused terms, but in my opinion, we have to make sure to inject technology where 
it makes sense to optimize those clinician workflows for a better patient or veteran experience, right? And Mark's example was a really good one of that. So, so we don't want to just say, and, and the EMR is kind of an interesting one because if you ask a lot of folks that have been on a Cerner Epic a number of years, the docs are, are it's, it's, it's a time consuming to measure that. So a lot of what we're looking at doing is to say, how can we shave time off of that process as we inject technology in? And one cool use case that we've seen is uh, actually a, a hospital system built-in integration in with uh, that replaced nurse call. So it was a spinal unit where patients were immobile. They used, um, the, think of a nurse call, nurse has to come in 40 to 50 times per shift, and they use the integration in with Alexa to triage that request into ServiceNow, basically optimizing so that the, the nurse didn't have to come in for only the things that he or she was needed to come in for, also triaging to the doc. So it created a better patient experience as well as optimizing that doc nurse's time so that they only needed to come in for those critical responses. Wow, that's fascinating. You know, it's, it's interesting that you can, you know, you have this sort of uh, fabric of technology, cloud, you know, Alexa, all these other things, the mobile devices, and now we're just sort of laying this capability on top of this, right? And providing this, uh, this rich, broader user experience, uh, which is fascinating. Um, well, we always like to talk about uh, lessons learned, right? Um, and uh, let me start with you, Bill, over at Veterans Affairs. I'm sure there's been, uh, um, well, actually, let's start with you, Jane, uh, Drew, um, uh, Veterans Affairs, in regards to lessons learned. Uh, as you're getting out there in the forefront, you're discovering, you're learning, uh, you're also experiencing some, some very pluses or very minuses. So we always like to share those lessons learned, a plus or a minus that you'd like to, uh, to highlight? Yeah, so for us, uh, and Bill talked about Mission Act, which was a, a move, a legislative um, change for us where veterans could go out and get care in the community. So we used to provide 4% of our care was, was received for veterans in the community. That potentially now could go to 40%. So that's a huge change and a lot of opportunities there for lessons learned, both on the business side and on the IT side. So one of the things that, that came through for, for me through that process was we had a number of, of IT deliverables that we knew we had to, had to do, but we couldn't be successful unless the, the business side was brought in with, with IT early on. The other thing is, um, and I'd seen it through my career, as you, as you get higher, you get further away from like the, the real problems. And we had to break that in this instance. So we needed our CIO, our undersecretaries, um, all, essentially all of our SESs, all the way down to the developers that were writing code that day, solving problems in real time. And in order to do that, we couldn't do that with the traditional tools like Word and, and a lot of like emails and that. So we had to adopt new tools that, that a lot of us were not familiar with. Um, and Teams and Slack was a way that we learned how to communicate differently. We also had to be more open. Um, and this, there was a challenge there. Whenever you let a developer at the lowest level complain all the way up to the CIO, you know, like that opens you up to, to different cultural experiences. Um, at the end of the day. So we had to learn how to work that way when we would bring in the right people, whether it was our CTO to solve something, whether it was a low-level developer um, or our CIO, how do you attack those problems? Um, the lessons learned from that was that once, once it became indoctrinated in our, our leadership, how important it was to, to build applications that way, then they could spread down through our ops organizations and Dan McCune over on our development side. Like they knew how to build that way. So once they knew how to build, then they, could t they, they knew what right looked like and they could show the people below them how to do that. Right, and everyone has to get involved with that environment, with that experience, right? Uh, the good and the bad, and, and the only way you can improve is when everyone is involved. 
Uh, Quincy, how about at KPMG? Give us a lessons learned. You, you guys have done a lot of activities over there as you're describing. Uh, give us an example of a lessons learned well, plus or minus. I'd like to build on what, what Drew said is that we're seeing the same thing and what you've just described is at the um, development level, right, with an with a application or something that you're trying to bring to your, your, uh, your veteran community. Um, we're seeing that almost on scale where it works well. So, you know, when you look at what needs to be done um, jointly with industry, right, so not just collaboratively within the organization, but breaking down barriers between government and the private sector, um, breaking down barriers between, you know, government and the technology providers that are bringing these to, to bear. It is better when everyone's working shoulder to shoulder. So that transparent governance, um, being honest and open, transparent, not thinking about uh, issues as problems or, or barriers, but this is something we're trying to accomplish and having that common objective. We're seeing that in the industry, and it's you know it's going to have to continue to be that way so that organizations can take advantage of the innovation, and ultimately the consumer is going to you know benefit from that. The veteran's going to benefit from that. Right, and uh, you know uh, it, uh, every one of these experiences, uh, they're uh, they're not uh, uh, miniature failures; they're miniature learning experiences. Right, as we we uh, learn to get more and more efficient about this. Jose, you've been an early adopter of a lot of this these different types of technology. You've given us a couple of examples. Can you share a specific lessons learned that you'd like to you know uh, yeah. provide and, and and highlight for the uh, the community? I think that what was said here, I completely agree with. I, I would just add to it that. You know, you have to create a space where developers can create, and you have to connect developers with the users or the ultimate consumer. And the consumer should drive whatever it is you're building, uh, right? And then what you're doing is you're driving change management in your ecosystem at the exact same time that you're developing and piloting solutions. And it, we always say DevOps, DevSecOps, but we need to talk about really what that is. And, and, and one of the examples, which we think will generate over a 1,000% return on investment, we're ready to go live with. We met with 3,000 members of our workforce in a nine-month period and two-week sprints and constantly brought back capabilities that developers created to them um, to say, does this meet your need? We built it around the way that they behave. We didn't just ask them for their requirements. We actually sit, sat down at their desk and, and watched them work. And I always say this example because it's fascinating. Um, we were looking at the way they use a system. Notice I'm not mentioning this, the system that we were using at all. We actually watched the way that one group of users used a system and they went to log in. And it took 25 minutes to log in. But they didn't identify that as an issue when they talked about their requirements. And they said, oh, I normally go get my coffee when this happens. But that's a fundamental performance issue. Sure. And if you, just, if you don't sit down with a group of folks that are going to be using the capabilities you're putting in place... You, you may never know that because they may not communicate that to you because that's part of their life. Talk about so I think that's, experience, yeah. I think that's the number one lesson right, learned from that me. Immediate feedback is very important. Drew, how about a service now? Uh, give us an example of uh, lessons learned that you're seeing out there, maybe a positive or a negative, uh, that um, you know are important and that we should be aware of. Yeah, yeah, I think I'll build off of what Jose said. Um, I was recently at a system, and, and I think I, they actually went through an empathy mapping exercise, right, where they sat with the user and mapped out, and again, you caught that 25 minutes. They were doing the same thing, sitting over the shoulder. That's the same thing on the clinical standpoint as well, too, right? So jumping in, seeing their seeing what their workflow, what that looks like. And I think, you know, one thing we've met, Drew and I were talking a little bit beforehand is, 
this concept of human-centered design workshops is really, really valuable. So kind of starting with what you're trying to accomplish and then working backwards to kind of build out what that looks like. And, you know, one of the examples is, is basically I was talking to my doctor recently and he, we were talking about mobile and mobile experience. And he said, he said, Drew, think about what I do. I get a set of data. I, I look up data. I, I have your past vitals. And I provide a care plan for you. So just get me the information in the right format securely in the right time. That's really all I do as a doctor, right, which is oversimplifying it quite a bit. But that's if you look at his workflow and what he's doing, that's, that's I think, sometimes we're, how we need to look at things and work backwards almost sometimes. Right. I mean, you got to, yeah, please. The other thing I think that is a lesson learned is don't start with governance. Sure. Don't start with governance. You know, start with fundamentally what can we do to add value and, like, and think about governance as something that we want to create in a manner that is elastic and expandable in nature. Mm-hmm. But don't go out and say, first, we're going to create a governance structure. Right. Because if you do that, you've already boxed yourself in. Right. Governance is important for the governance audience out there, but uh, <laughs> uh, perhaps not starting with it and, and uh, might make sense. Uh, Mark, uh, you talked about a lot of capability, uh, the interoperability, et cetera. It sounds like you're on the ground floor of that whole concept. I'm sure you have some lessons and learned that you'd like to share with us. Sure, sure. And, and actually, one, one I'd like to mention, and it has to do with, with patients' right of access. Not everybody understands what HIPAA provides. The, and, and there are a lot of folks that when they were trying to get access to their records, HIPAA was used as the excuse why they couldn't get access to their records. Wow. And it's, it's quite the opposite. There's but, a lesson learned. Right? Yes. Yeah. So people don't realize, mm-hmm. it, even in medical uh, operations, that HIPAA does provide the right of access. But because they didn't understand it and it was a little bit of trouble to get them that information, they use that as an excuse why they couldn't. So part of what we're doing uh, is making that information accessible to the patients. And there'll be some education in there to make sure that folks understand that HIPAA provides this for their for the patients. That's interesting. Uh, Chris, how about over at Semantic, lessons learned that you're seeing as, uh, you know, uh, your organization is out there securing this ecosystem, this fabric, and making sure that everyone feels confident about the information they're being provided. Yeah, build, build security in from the beginning. You know, it's really hard when you start to deploy all this and you think about security as an afterthought and try to bolt it on later. It's really an enabler of, of uh, you know, the cloud, enabler of mobile, enabler of, of uh, electronic health record sharing and, and mobile healthcare. So, uh, it, you know, it's, it's, I'm going to go back to DLP again. Doing DLP right is, is complex. You have to know where all your data is. You have to categorize your data. You have to agree on where your high value data resides and how you're going to prioritize that. And the earlier you do that in your migration to the cloud or migration to mobile, uh, the better off you're going to be. Yeah, um, uh, that, that's a... That's a, an age-old lesson learned that I think we all need to, uh, to focus our attention on. Um, <clears throat> we like to talk about challenges. I'm going to start with you, Bill. Uh, you're right smack in the middle of it, it sounds like, over there at VA. Uh, can you talk a little bit about some of the challenges that uh, you, know, you have to overcome in order that you've had to overcome or anticipating to have to overcome? I think the number one is communications. And it's not an IT thing. I think it's general management thing. But... Uh, we, we need to communicate um, transparently and completely, not only with our customers uh, in the VA, the benefits and the health and our, our memorial uh, services, but uh, internally and with our industry partners. About half of the workforce in the VA are contractors. And so we need to have a, a shoulder-to-shoulder, a teamwork relationship, but uh, communicating that vision clearly and, of course, listening very carefully. I don't know, boss. 
uh, who told me, you know, God gave everybody uh, two ears and one mouth, use them in that ratio. Uh, listening to our, our employees and our, our industry partners and learning and, and then communicating our vision out very clearly and more often than they, we, we think we need to. Yeah, just uh, I think uh, making sure that you're in receive mode and realize that half the uh, community out there was uh, uh, sort of a partner vendor uh, workforce and uh, that's not uncommon. Uh, sometimes the ratio is even higher than that. Uh, so I think it's important that uh, the entire community is considered uh, when you're looking at these various activities. Well, we're going to take another short break and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. From large backlogs and mountains of data to unfunded mandates and spikes in demand, federal agencies face obstacles to efficiently completing business and mission tasks. Intelligent automation can help ease some of the pressure. At KPMG, they help agencies access the full spectrum of intelligent automation so they can deliver greater innovation across their organizations while having a more positive impact on their mission, workforce, and constituents. To learn more, please visit kpmg.com backslash us backslash gov automation. The Internet of Medical Things. Connected devices. Telemedicine. Predictive prescriptions. Clinical informatics. Patient analytics. Automated nursing. There's a lot of confusion about how we should be using technology in healthcare. And confusion makes us scared. Scared for our health, for our privacy, for our families. ServiceNow is dedicated to making the scary simple and to using technology to positively change the way we experience patient care. We want you to feel cared for, not scared for anything. ServiceNow. We make the world of work work better for people. Symantec is the partner of choice for federal agencies looking to enhance their cyber posture and respond to advanced threats. Their integrated cyber defense platform combines information protection, threat protection, identity management, compliance, and other advanced services, powered by shared intelligence and automation across endpoints, networks, applications, and clouds to deliver the most robust capabilities in the federal marketplace. To learn more, visit Symantec.com. All right, welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. We're talking about healthcare IT, and with me on today's show is Mark Vafiatis with the Office of National Coordination, Jose Arriata with HHS, Quimby Kayser with KPMG, Bill James with Department of Veterans Affairs, Drew Michael Gard with Department of Federal Affairs. Drew Kerner with ServiceNow, and Chris Townsend with Semantic Federal. We were talking about challenges, key challenges to overcome when we're improving healthcare technology. Drew at ServiceNow, I'm going to throw it down to you. Uh, tell us about some uh, challenges and some things that need to be considered when you're looking at rolling out these massive IT healthcare environments. Yeah, I could probably take up the rest of the time with that question, but uh, I, I think I actually would go kind of a different path and talk about uh, talent acquisition and retention. So we talked a little bit about this too, but getting the right folks in the right places, keeping them happy, and basically having them able to do their jobs, right? So that's not just, I think everyone here could probably uh, relate to a story around that. So basically making a better experience for them and, and keeping them in the right place, right? And that's not just folks on, on Jose's team and, and every word on the path, but that's the docs and the VA all the way down the path, right? Because there's a lot of options out there that folks have and keeping them in the right place is, is pretty critical, right? Sure, talent management, always a big deal, regardless of what subject it is. Uh, Mark, how about at uh, uh, the National Coordination Office? Tell us about some challenges there and some things that need to be considered. Sure, two challenges, main challenges, is we implement the 21st Century Cures Act. Uh, again, we're, 
We're trying to make healthcare records interoperable. Which act is that, just so we... This uh, is the 21st Century Cures Act, okay. uh, which was passed in 2016. And two of the main parts of that are interoperability of health records mm -hmm. and patient access. Okay. So one of the challenges with interoperability, it, of course, it's a, it's a big lift, and that is that some people say, hey, what's taking so long? You guys are moving too slowly. And then, of course, you get an, the other 50% saying, you're moving too fast. You know, we need to take our time to make sure this is done right. So that, that's one of the challenges. It's listening to the folks that are involved, to our, to our partners in the private sector, as well as federally, to make sure that we're doing it right. Um, and the other challenge is, uh, again, patient access. We've talked about having uh, application programming interfaces, which allow us to have access to our, our information. And right now, the healthcare industry is a little behind the eight ball. Um, we use apps. Uh, to, to see our information on banking. Um, there, there's the Mint app, which basically it consolidates all of our bank accounts and our credit cards and our mortgage and so forth on one app so you can see everything at once. Um, but we, again, we use, we use apps on our smartphone for air travel, for weather service, music service, Uber and Lyft are a great example, and we're a little behind. So again, it's making sure that we move forward and, and do it right so that Folks do have access on their smartphone to all their medical information consolidated uh, at no charge. Sure, Jose. Yeah, so I'll take a little bit of a curveball on this, and I think that the biggest challenge when is really related to how you store the data, right? And so what we're doing, and I think we're hopefully addressing this, is we're saying, look, if, and we're, if you think about the human brain, it stores in memory in five different locations. So we're actually storing data in multiple locations. If it's something we're going to that's very transactional, we're storing transactional data in one location. If it's something that's heavy that we're going to keep for a long period of time and we're going to need access, we're storing it in another database. If it's something we're going to run RPA off of, we're storing it in another place. And we're connecting, so to speak, each of those memories by a hash. And I think about it, if you want to create access to data to drive better outcomes for patients and you bring together diverse groups of people, that are going to look at these different data sets and pr pr to provide better outcomes for patients. You have to think about how you're going to store data and how you're going to connect it. And I think you have to separate transactional data from what transactional memory, from motor skill memory, from long-term memory. I think you have to think about it in that way or, or else you're going to run into a scaling challenge and you're not going to have a lot of flexibility. A lot of data and need to think about how you're going to store it. Quimby, how about a KPMG? Can you give us some challenges there? I'm, go <clears throat> I'm going to go to the people <clears throat> culture part of yeah, it as sure. well. Excuse me. Um, you know, I think there's fallacies out there, whether it's security, you know, that Chris, you've already brought up and sort of it's scary and there's lots of rules that we have to follow. It's just too hard, right? I'm just going to say no because it's too hard. You know, you think about, uh, Mark, what you said about HIPAA and same thing, right? It's complicated. It's too hard. I think there's fallacies out there that it's just not true. It just is hard and we just have to work together to work through those. So that common objective, having a cross-functional team that comes together to say, this is what we're trying to accomplish. Now let's all focus on that. Yes, it's hard, but there are ways, and we're seeing ways, to very productively take advantage of the technologies that are out there as well. And then the very subtle but very um, critical culture change is happening inside of organizations. Uh, if, when you know this movement to cloud is, is great, but it, it fundamentally changes how and what IT organizations do. And the um, people in that, um, there's a sense of loss, there's a sense of probably frustration, and um, that isn't easy to work through either. So I think right. just being cognizant of you know the external you know potentially fallacies that can be worked through, but 
not underplaying the internal mm -hmm. uh, organizational changes Ooh, that are going on as well. part of this is really important. All right, so we like to wrap it up with uh, sort of paint a picture of the future, and we're gonna start with you, Chris, mm -hmm. at Symantec, and what does that look like? You know, where's the security in this? Is it just there and it's magic and we don't even think about it, or how's well, this gonna work as we get more sophisticated on these delivery systems on our medical? And, and again, Luke, uh, you know, security has to be an enabler and underlie everything that we do in healthcare because, you know, just to expand on what, what Mark uh, hit on with the portability of the electronic health record uh, and treating it the same way that we do our, our financial records, uh, that's going to bring tremendous benefit in terms of patient outcomes, in terms of patient satisfaction and patient care. But uh, folks are going to be reticent to use that if they feel it's insecure or unsecure and that it's, that it's going to, uh, you know, put their uh, identity at more risk. So we have to make sure everything that we're doing in terms of the cloud, in terms of moving data around, and the electronic health record, all is built on a solid platform of security that under underlies that and is transparent and easy to use as possible, but it still protects that record so we can get to that point where we have that flexible, portable access to really start to drive um, better patient satisfaction and outcome. Confident reliability is really important. Well, uh, Drew, you talked about Alexa getting involved in the in the healthcare community. What, what's it going to look like in three years? I mean, how, what can we expect in regards to companies like ServiceNow and what that experience is going to be? Yeah, I think in general, there's we're starting to see a shift of the the, the concept of population health or consumer or precision medicine. So, so the patients, all of us are patients in some capacity. So, being responsible for our own health records and having that, again, having access to that information. But I think that there's going to be a shift. It's already starting, right, to say, you know, even the genomic process to say, you know, Drew Kerner, you know, 45-year-old white male of German descent should get this treatment versus another. So so I think that's what we're going to start to see a little bit more specifically is treatment based on those types of, of processes right. and even extending into the home, right? So, so having IoT and technology, we didn't really talk about telemedicine, but shifting some of the onus to the to the to the patient themselves at home versus hey waiting till the last minute to come in to to get treatment yeah, so, so personalized medicine you hear a lot about that now drew how about at va what what can the veterans expect uh going forward in the next uh two three to five years so the the number one thing we want to do is allow veterans to view manage and share their data sure so we have a tremendous amount of data just not, every veteran deserves that well legally yes like we are legally obligated not only do they deserve it um, but that is something that we have the data, and across the federal, every agency faces this, but we, th there's a data quake coming in the, in the federal government, we believe. Um, and the opportunity to build the layer of APIs on there, on top of that, securely. Would you call that a data quake? The data quake yes. is opening up those APIs. Okay. Yeah, I 100% yeah, believe that's a sure data quake. That. Yeah, you can hashtag that yeah. for me. <laughs> so then, the, but, the, but the, it's critical how we build out those APIs because over at HHS, you want this as a developer, you want the same experience building against them, whether they're Jose's um, APIs or, or VA's APIs or CMS DOD. So we want to create that as a federal government. So over the next three years, we really see like a culture of building that out and then that ecosystem of developers coming in, whether it's large EHRs, small developers, that, that innovation at the perimeter where there's one developer working on one problem because his, his veteran buddy down the street said he, he wanted to, to be able to, to do this telemedicine. 
um, engagement a different way, and then that feeds faster and faster. Yeah, it's an interesting little blend between sort of personalized medicine and, and sort of focusing on the individual versus open access and allowing, you know, any individual that has a great idea to start to develop that, and also making sure that it's very secure and people are confident and reliable and credible, I think, is the other mix that comes into play. Bill, from your dimension at VA, what, what does it look like? What, what does the future look like? Uh, you know, I think fundamentally we need to eliminate the IT barriers between the veterans and the services they've earned. That's simple. That IT should become invisible and not a barrier. Uh, from a DevOps perspective, our culture shift is one of empathy and customer first and the customer experience and human-centered design. So moving our culture toward um, measuring our success by our customer success and the customer experience at the end of that being the veteran uh, coming to the forefront. Um, customer uh, first, customer focus is very important, right? It's a critical aspect of this. Quimby, what, what, what do you see from KPMG? What, what, does that, what does that future look like? I think I just can agree with Bill is, is what I can do. Um, so, you know, we've got a point of view about Healthcare 2030 uh, out there and you know our point of view is it's got to be about the customer it's got to be about being myopically focused on what that customer wants not what we think it is not you know what the focus groups you know we've even learned in our research that you know people can't even tell you what they want and I think there was a good example Jose that you brought up about that so you've got to get creative in understanding and investing in understanding that I guess number one uh, and number two, making sure that um, IT is an enabler of that. And it's not out in front, it's, it's not the office of no, it's the office of how can we help you accomplish that. And I think that's the trends we see. We think the organizations that are making the investments and in understanding that customer experience, removing the barriers within the organization and those silos, which we call the connected enterprise, kind of the front, middle, and back office, those are the organizations that are, are going to succeed and, and, and uh, flourish versus not flourishing. Right, it's kind of fascinating. One on the you know the the whole issue about what uh, what uh, an individual wants and trying to to understand that and sort of pull that out of them. And oftentimes they can tell you what they don't want, right? But uh, they they uh, they might not uh, understand what's available uh, as far as uh, what they want, which I think is really important. But you talk think about this big massive ecosystem of technology associated to the various aspects of healthcare. At the end of the day, it comes down to each individual, right? I mean, that's where it's starting, right? It's about that individual's health and the aspects around that. Jose, what does the future look like from HHS's perspective? If you could sort of get over the if horizon I could there, yeah, into if the you teleport yourself I think, there. I mean, what does it look like? I mean, what I've learned in my 18 months at HHS is that um, the healthcare delivery is very decentralized. But one of the challenges, and, and my mom almost died of sepsis right before I took this. She's okay, and, but before I took this job. And one of the challenges is there's this inability to share data. And sepsis is something that there's a solution for, but it's a, it's a data sharing challenge. So I think the future of healthcare is more decentralization. And I think the single most important thing to ensuring decentralized access to understandable curated data uh, is identity. And I think we're actually proofing this right now. But I think actually creating decentralized identity based on behavioral characteristics uh, versus username and login is the single most important thing uh, to the future of allowing an individual to consume healthcare information that they need, um, as well as provide that to the provider. And I think that's the long pole in the tent. I think that technology and capability exists in the marketplace right now. 
we're going to pilot it. We'll come back and talk about it if you're interested in a few months. Sure, and I, I, I the, just this whole idea behind the IoT and the sensing uh, equipment devices in your home, on your your on the on your person, if you will, and being able to take that information securely and get it to a place that can be analyzed, metered, monitored pr progressively and consistently. I think is is you know is a whole area that is going to be fantastic as the population ages, et cetera. Mark, how about at ONZ? What does it look like there for um, you know sort of the the uh, you've gone through these iterations, right? Where where you talked about a 2016 uh, environment. Tell us about you know 2022. What does that mm -hmm. look like? Well, we're very optimistic. By then, hopefully, we'll have interoperability um, almost universal and also patient access. And those are the things that we're kind of laser focused on. And the next step after that is there's a lot of, uh, is leveraging community resources. A lot of folks interface with community resources rather than medical. Mm -hmm. And it could be, you know, behavioral health, it could be group homes, shelters, uh, people that are, you know, in the jail system. Um, and all this information doesn't necessarily go into the medical record. It doesn't go into the medical record. Also EMS, if, if somebody is calling a uh, paramedics and they show up at their house a couple times a week, that doesn't necessarily go into their medical record. So this is information that could be really critical to the care of an individual. And if a, and if a physician and providers know about this information, it could change the way they care for their patients. So the next step is trying to get that information also integrated into, into the health record of an individual. Yeah, really important to sort of bring all that together from uh, an ecosystem and, uh, and make that available. Um, well, we talked about the future a little bit. I always like to talk about priorities for next year, right? You know, what, what, what is the priority? Drew, I'm going to start with you. Uh, let's talk about um, Drew from VA. Sorry about that. We've got two Drews there. Uh, let's talk about priorities for next year, right? What are you guys focused on that you're, you're going to want to make darn sure it gets done? Well, one of the big things is bringing in talent. Like, it is the best time probably in, in, to, to work in the government. We have opportunities with leadership where you can come in and as a presidential innovation presidential innovation fellow or join my team you can hit us up on twitter like we'll bring you in and start working on on exciting products right now we have launched um one really interesting ai project we've got we're moving to cloud you can come in if you're a developer around apis like there there are areas where for i think for the first time in a long time you can come to the government and it'll be a stepping stone to the next, to your next area of technology, and then the next leading wave of that. Fantastic, Jose. How about at HHS? So, if you are out there and you're interested in taking a risk, uh, please reach out to me because we, we are interested in recruiting talent. We're interested in recruiting talent. It's HHS and, or uh, DataQuake, and, you know. And 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 we've we've built a long short-term memory recurrent neural network. Uh, we are using some algorithms to actually analyze data and do predictive analytics. We are actually going to proof 240 behavioral-based characteristics on a mobile device to create access, secure access to your information. We're actually going to proof that right now. We think it'll directly impact emission space. So if you're out there and you want to come into the government and do some really cool stuff, definitely reach out to Drew, but let me know as well. Yes. Our, yes. our three focus areas, All right. cloud, talent, talent, talent. Fantastic. We'll, we'll end with Mark. Number one priority for next year. Number one priority, again, is, is implementing the 21st Century Cures Act, working with the private sector to make sure we're doing it right and that we're not creating rules that may be not as good as what's already happening in the private sector. So basically, it's leveraging what's happening in the private sector 
to to make this happen. Outstanding. Well, I want to thank all of you uh, for taking the time out of your busy schedules to join us for this program. I'd like to thank the sponsors for Without We Do Not Have a Show. I'd like to thank the good people here at Federal News Radio that make our program so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, I'd like to thank you, the listening audience, who tune in every month. You are listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Thank you for listening to the 2019 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 14 years. This show was produced by the Treza Media Group. If you missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com. 